Well, this is the 31st of January of the year 2023, and it is New Year's Eve. This year is passing, and we can decide in our minds it's just another day, just a turn of another calendar, and ignore the significance of these passing days. I think to do so is to waste an opportunity. When the calendar turns over into another year, it is a time to pause and to reflect. Not superstitiously, not in some sense of turning over a new leaf. That's not the point. You can do that right now in this very moment. You don't need to wait to tomorrow for that. But it is a time to reflect. And it's always good to look back upon the past year. Because if we're honest, there are things that were challenges, difficulties, times that we did not act as we should. Times we missed opportunities. But beyond those times of failure, we can reflect upon the times that God has kept us. Because He's kept us all of our ways. And so whilst we often look back upon a past year and see our faults, we should look back upon a past year and see the grace of God. Because if you don't see the grace of God in the past year, then you're not going to be spurred on to serve God in the coming year. Remember what God has done for you. We've had some good times in the house of God here. We've known the Lord's blessing. We've known the Lord's help. We've had good times of prayer. Seasons of refreshing in the place of prayer. We've called upon the Lord. Again, I don't think there's a prayer meeting has gone by that we couldn't have said amen together for the prayers offered. The Lord has guided and directed us. Again, we, we take that for granted so often. But you can go to some prayer meetings. And again, there are prayers offered and they're, they're off, way off left field somewhere. We, as a congregation, have known the help of God to pray the will of God in this place. That is God's kindness and grace toward us. I can't speak for your own private times. But I'm sure you can look back and say there's times you met with the Lord in the private place. The word came, just the right word, just the right time. A word directly to your soul. God's been good to us in the past year. He's always good. Even in our trials, He is good for us. As we give thanks to God in all things. But understandably, as we reflect upon the past, there is, again, the obvious conclusion from that, and that is to set clear aims and objectives for the new year. Please, be done with the thinking of this world that says there is no point in setting resolutions because I won't keep them by Tuesday or by Wednesday. Therefore, there is no point. Now, by God's grace, we are people who resolve to serve Christ. That is the Christian resolution. Now, as our brother Eric mentioned this morning, if we're looking to keep ourselves, we have no hope. But God can keep us, and God can enable us to keep our resolution to serve Him in a new year. Not perfectly, we will fail and we will make mistakes, but by God's grace, we can resolve to serve God in a new year. And we can resolve by God's grace to set clear biblical goals and ambitions. That in this next year, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do that. I want to be faithful in the Lord's work. I want to know the Lord in the place of prayer. I want to know the Lord in the Bible readings. I want to know the Lord. And all of these aims, they do come, at least in some connection, to these words in verse number 21. We would see Jesus. Again, I was thinking of the new year and 
considering various texts, and this just came to my mind as a burden for a new year. I can think of a new year beginning tomorrow and think to myself, yeah, I want to see the Lord. Day by day, I want to see Jesus. And so I want to encourage you tonight with that thought in mind. I don't think this should be my ambition only. I think this should be the ambition of all God's people. So I'm not going to tell you directly, if you like, what you should resolve to do. But if you're a child of God, this is what you should do. This should be the burden of your heart. And in your new year, I want to see the Lord day by day, privately and publicly. So as we begin, I want to look at this in the context, because when you see it in the setting here of John chapter 12, there are some some really interesting features that can help us to expand upon the concept here and, and what's involved in seeing Jesus And so first of all, please note with me, this is indeed a praiseworthy ambition. It is a praiseworthy ambition to see the Lord. Just on face value, you go to any evangelical church and you say, my ambition this year is to see Jesus. They'll pat you in the back. And they'll say, that's good. That's a good ambition. Young person, that's a good ambition. That's a good aim. On the very surface, it is a good sentiment. But there are a couple of things I want to look at by way of of, of scrutinizing this uh, further. I want to consider... Who has this ambition? And then think of why it's praiseworthy. Who's got the ambition and why is this a praiseworthy ambition? Well, first of all, the who. Well, we've got the answer there, verse number 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Again, as is so often the case, when you get a, if you get a context like this, there are various thoughts. Different people, different ideas. There are some who say the Greeks here may well have been Greek-speaking Jews who have been scattered in times of the scattering after the captivity, and they're, they're in Greek-speaking regions, and they are the, the, the Greek-speaking Jews. Some of them are mentioned in Acts chapter 6. But more than likely, and again, this is a revealing thought, these are Greeks who are proselytes to the Jewish faith. And they are those who are coming to worship at the feast. The feasts that are, again, there were, there were several feasts that were involved in the Jewish calendar. And they, they came three times a year to Jerusalem for one of those feasts. Passover was one of those. And they're coming for the Passover. They're coming to recognize again that following the Savior involves following a path of sacrifice. They're coming to worship at the feast. Now, it's likely, and the reference to these Greeks is likely pointing to a theme in the Gospel of John that Jesus Christ came as the Savior of the world. It's one of John's themes. And so this feature being dropped in here, that there are Greeks who want to see Jesus, is more than likely John leading his readers to the conclusion that Christ did not only come to save the Jews, but also the other sheep, not of this fold, that we saw in John chapter 10. Again, you go back to John chapter 1, and you will see that very early on in John's gospel, there is the emphasis that Christ is the Savior of the world. I didn't say the Savior of all men ever lived, but He's the Savior of men from all sorts of backgrounds. Not only the Jews, but also the Greeks. John 1 verse 29, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 
Again, I'm not going into the context of the Lord's atonement and all the details of that. But what you're seeing here is that Christ Jesus came as the Jewish Lamb of God, fulfilling the types and shadows of the Old Testament. But in so doing, he came to take away the sins of Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. You see, for the Greeks to be saved, they must see Jesus. John chapter 3, of course, verse 16, that so well-known text, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And here's the connection, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's love not only for the Jewish nation but for the world, Jews and Greeks, sending forth his Son so that whoever believed in him should not perish, both Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. So you go back to John chapter 12, and you see this reference. There were certain Greeks among them that came to worship at the feast. You're seeing those, again, part of God's elect. And their burden is to see the Savior. You see, in order to be saved, you must see Jesus. And if you're unsaved here tonight, make that your ambition next year. I want to see the Lord. I want to know the Lord. I want to see the Lord in the Scriptures in such a way that I'll come to believe in the Lord. That's a good ambition. So these Greeks, again, they were religious. We're making that point. Verse number 20, they came up to worship Him at the feast. They worshiped the Lord God at the feast. They were religious, but that's not enough. Again, that's a good point to think about. That when we think about seeing Jesus, it's not just about being more religious. Because their religion was not enough. Again, I said they were likely proselytes to Judaism. They were likely those who, again, were part, who would come to the Gentile court. Remember the Lord? He clears out the temple. My house is a house of prayer. And the context of the Old Testament, that reference is, my house is a house of prayer for the nations. And so there were Gentiles who would, who would come to the temple. And they'd, they'd worship in the Gentile courts. And they, they, were, they were this... People, these sort of people who are coming to worship God. But that religion wasn't enough. You see, we are in John's Gospel. We're in a transition period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there are various sorts of people. There were Jews, some of whom were regenerate, born again, before Jesus comes. There are born-again Jews who are born again when the babe is born in Bethlehem. And so what happens to those people? They see the babe, they're born again, and they recognize that the babe is the Messiah. People like Anna and Simeon, they are, they are regenerate Jews who are waiting for Messiah, and when Messiah comes, that's him. He's the promised Messiah. And their, their newborn hearts recognize Jesus. But there were other Jews, and they were not regenerate people like Nicodemus. He knew the word of God, but yet the Lord said to him in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Is there a recognition that though you're religious, you're not reborn? He came to see the Lord later. He came to recognize Jesus as a savior later on, but because he's born again. But there are also those who are proselytes. So there were Jews, regenerate Jews, unregenerate Jews. But there are also proselytes who had an interest in Judaism, people like Cornelius later on in Acts chapter 10, and they had an interest in Judaism, but they hadn't known the Savior. 
And my point is really very, very simple. In light of that history, whoever you are, wherever you are, Messiah is here. What think you of Jesus? It is not enough to be religious. You've got to see Jesus, and in seeing Jesus, believe in him as the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing in his name, having life through his name. It's a good ambition. It's a good ambition. Why? Because Jesus must be the object of faith. He is the sole object of saving faith. When it says here, we would see Jesus, what follows, and we'll see this in more detail later on, what follows is really the Lord describing what it is to be a disciple, a Christian. And so what you're seeing here is, to see Jesus in verse number 21, the Lord interprets to being a desire to come to know and to believe in the Savior. This ambition is praiseworthy because the only object of our faith must be Jesus Christ if we are to be saved. Turn please forward to John chapter 20 because in John's gospel is a connection made between seeing Jesus and believing. You know the story very well of Thomas. He wasn't in the upper room whenever the Lord appeared the first time. And he, he doubts. And the Lord comes a second time. And the Lord shows him his hands and his side. And Thomas answers and says in verse 28, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And we're, we're, we're dealing with transition here. In the initial times of the gospel, to see Jesus was to recognize him as Messiah and then believe in him. Thomas does that. And yet we find ourselves now and we've got to spiritualize the idea of seeing Jesus because we cannot see him with the eyes of the flesh. We are those described in 1 Peter chapter 1, yet ye see him not, yet believing. We don't see him in the flesh, but yet we, we see him and believe because What's involved here is to see Jesus, is to believe in him. It is a trust in him. And that faith that is in Christ is the faith that lasts by looking unto Jesus. Why is it praiseworthy to see or to say, I would see Jesus? Well, if you're unsaved, to see Christ is to believe in Christ. But beyond that, for those who are saved... It is in seeing Jesus that we continue in the faith, that we walk with the Lord. See, turn across to Hebrews chapter 3. The writer of Hebrews again draws this point, making the emphasis that if the people of God are to press on in their faith, they must do so looking unto Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Consider him. If you're to press on in your walk with God, you must see and consider Christ Jesus. And then chapter 12, these verses that are so well known, chapter 12 and the verse number 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such 
contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You see, if you're going to believe in Jesus, you must see him. And if you're going to continue in the faith, you must continue to look to Jesus. It's not a once looking. It's a continual looking to the Lord in every aspect of your Christian life, considering him, looking unto him. He has secured your salvation. You see him in his finished work, and therefore there is no fear and no doubt as you press on in the things of the kingdom. Hence the main burden of my heart tonight. This is a praiseworthy ambition, worthy of our imitation, that we would see the Lord. Unsaved souls in 2024 have this burden to see Jesus. And for you, dear child of God, say to your soul right now, I would, I must, I need to see Jesus. It's a good prayer to end this year and begin the new year. It's a praiseworthy ambition. But note, secondly, it's a prudent approach they make here. And there were certain Greeks, and verse 21 says, The same came therefore to Philip and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. They go to the right source. That's the point what you see. Now, please, please listen. Do not misunderstand this. We are not Romanists that believe that in order for a, for a sinner to get to Jesus, they must go through some earthly mediator. We don't believe that. We go directly to Christ. The veil is torn. We go right to Christ in prayer and in worship. That's not my point right now. The point I want you to see here is that the apostles are the foundation of the church. And Christ is found through his apostles. You think of the words of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 20. Again, the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see, what I want to just emphasize, and it's a spiritual application from this reference, is that Christ is found through his apostles. We have so individualized the Christian faith. As good Protestants, we believe that we can go directly to God, that we have forgotten the church is important. And the church's responsibility is to preach apostolic doctrine. And as the church preaches apostolic doctrine, so Christ is to be found there. And so where can sinners find the Savior? In a biblically ordered, Christ-centered and Christ-preaching church. And so Andrew and Philip, they bring the desire of these Greeks to the Savior. And I'm just simply reminding you, it is the duty of a New Testament church to be a place where Christ is to be found. I want you to pray for that, please. Again, as we leave this year and enter a new year, make it your earnest prayer that when you come to the house of God here, Lord's day by Lord's day, Christ will be found here. Found in the Word. The word that's read and preached. Make it your earnest prayer that Lord's Day by Lord's Day, I by God's grace will expound Christ to you. 
In the Old Testament, through the types and the shadows, in the New Testament, as Christ is explained and expected, as we see these things in the New Testament, that Christ we preach from this pulpit Lord's Day by Lord's Day. And if for some reason I'm not here, whoever comes here will make Christ plainly known. The sinners who come to the door of this church and say, can I come in here to see Jesus? You can say, please come in quickly. You'll find the Lord here. That must be the burden of our hearts. And whatever else we do, if we don't do that, we're failing. Christ must be seen and found here in the apostolic preaching of the word. As we expound the scriptures, found in the word and found in the sacraments, the Lord's table. You know, if you're going to say to me today, yeah, yeah, preacher, I want to see Jesus. And you're going to be here, unless you're hindered, you're going to be here at 10 a.m. on the first Lord's every, every month to see Christ at the table. That's what he said, remember me. He says, well, I, 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 no. If you're a child of God and you say in your heart, I want to see Jesus, well, you'll see him in the word, but you also see him in the sacraments. In the ordinances, he's seen in the table. He's displayed the gospel as preached at the table. And the child of God should be urgent and desirous to be at the Lord's table to see the Lord. They want to see Jesus, do we? Through the word and in the sacraments. And so enter, please, enter this new year with this burden of your heart. We would see Jesus. But if this is your desire in your church life, if you, if you come to the Lord, if you're like through the apostolic doctrine, the word and sacraments, it must also be your desire privately and in your home life. This desire to see Jesus will not just be switched on on a Sunday morning when you enter these doors. It's got to be with you all the week long. A burden day by day to rise in the morning and say, I would see Jesus. Now, I've set myself a plan and a goal for the next year, tomorrow on. We'll all have various Bible reading plans. But my objective this year, my Bible reading plan, is to make a note every day of something I've learned about Christ in the Word. You see, I, I'm perhaps like many of you, I read the Scriptures and I want to see, well, what should I do today? I want to see my sin. I, I, want, to, I want to recognize my duty before God's. But Christ is in all the Scriptures. So this year, I'm, I'm going to, by God's grace, and you can check up with me in a few months' time, by God's grace, or perhaps a few days' time, by God's grace, day by day, I want to see something of Christ in the Scriptures. Now, this is not difficult. Young people, this is not difficult. You get a notebook, you put a date, and you make a note, here's how I saw Christ in the Word today. So, but, but how can I do that? How do I find Christ in the law? How do I find Christ in Deuteronomy? How, how do I find Christ in Leviticus? Well, Leviticus is easy, folks. He's everywhere in Leviticus, in the types and the shadows of the sacrifice. But it's not difficult. So listen up for three minutes. Think in biblical categories. You want to see Jesus in the Word? Look for him in his person and in his work. In his person, did you see a display of his deity in that text? Did you see Christ as the Son of God in that text? Did you see him as God in that text? Did you see his glory in that text in some way? Oh, you could read in Exodus chapter 3 in a few months' time or a few weeks' time, and you'll, you'll see him there in the burning bush. 
I am. And you see the glory of the pre-incarnate Christ as he comes and speaks to Moses. There you see Jesus. God. Do you see his humanity? You see him perhaps in the garden and the blood is coming from his forehead. He's got my nature. He's got a body like my body. He is my Redeemer. He is God, and yet He is man. And you, you make a note. He is God, but here, here I see Him in His humanity. And other times, you may see Him both as God and man, reconciling sinners to Himself. The mediator between God and man, the person of Christ. You look for those things in the Word. Look for His work. Examine the Scriptures, see His work. Uh, the history is there. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his reign. You can see those things in the scriptures all through the scriptures. You take Psalm 22. You're reading through the Psalms. Where are you going to see in Psalm 22? You're going to see Christ and his sufferings there. Psalm 110, Christ and his reign. There are portions of the word of God where you will see Christ. Other times, you're going to have to dig more thoroughly and think more carefully. But look for him in his work. His work as prophet. As he's speaking to you directly, the prophet that brings the word of God to mankind, that's Christ as our prophet. Christ as our priest who brings us to the Father. Christ as king who rules and reigns over us and provides for us and protects us. You're looking for Christ in the scriptures. He's in all the word. We would see Jesus in our home life, in my private devotional life. I want to see the Lord this year. And you do that Monday through Saturday I guarantee you'll come to the house of God here the Lord's Day with a renewed burden and a renewed zeal, a renewed hunger. I want to see the Savior. I think we all need a wee stirring up. Uh, I have four or five austerisms in my head right now. I can't, I can't use you to understand them. We need the Lord to come part upon us. We need our hearts stirred up. Revived in the things of God that we come to the house of God, not through routine and through habit, because we want to see Jesus. It starts in the home, and it comes to the house of God. And I believe there, in so doing, we'll be blessed in our souls. A prudent approach. But finally, in closing, note a pressing application. What is intriguing in John chapter 12? It's how the Lord answers. Again, it begins, verse 20. There were Greeks came. Verse 21, sir, we would see Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. That was a puzzle. How does, how does that address the question? We, we want to see Jesus and the Lord's first words in response the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Well, let me try to help you walk along this pathway. If you want to see me, the Lord says, you must first know that I am about to die. That's what it means, the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour is come in John's gospel as a very, very important theme. You go back to John 7 and the verse number 30. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. 
chapter 8 and the verse number 20. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then John 12, our text, verse number 23, the hour is come. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Chapter 13, verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. And so the reference to the hour here is a reference to his sufferings as well as his death and resurrection and thereby his glorification unto the Father. That is the hour, not one 60-minute period, but a time in God's timetable that marks human redemption in Christ Jesus. The hour planned from before eternity is now come. He's going to die. Know that if you want to see me. The Lord is saying to these Greeks, know what you're asking. Not an earthly king, but a suffering servant. Therefore, know secondly, that to see me brings the obligation to believe and to follow me. That's what happens next. Verse 24 acts as a link. The hour is coming, the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That's a glorious text. It's emphasizing that through Christ's death comes much fruit. But it's used as a link. If you want to see me, to see me brings the obligation to believe on me. To believe on me is to believe in one who is suffering and will die. And the same claim will be upon you. Verse 24. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You want to see me? Know that I must suffer and die. Know that to see me brings the obligation to believe on me and to follow me. And therefore know the cost of seeing me. To truly see Christ is to love Christ. And when you love Christ, you will not love your life. And when you don't love your life, you may lose your life. It's no small thing to see Jesus. Luke, this gospel records in similar language over in Luke chapter 9. I'll just read the verse to you, verse number 24. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And that follows the comments here. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There are many who will not become Christians because they do not want to become Christians because they do not want to deny themselves. To see Jesus brings obligation to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus, it involves giving our lives in its entirety to Christ Jesus. This praiseworthy ambition of seeing Jesus comes with a tremendous obligation, not, not a burden that's heavy, a burden that's light. 
but an obligation nonetheless to count the cost, to lose your life for the sake of the gospel. Spiritual living, you know, it's commended in so many circles. You, you can talk to your neighbors and say, you know, I have an interest in Jesus. I want, to, I want to see Jesus in the Word of God. And they'll say, that's wonderful for you. I'm glad you can do that. You, know, you look through the, the magazine racks in a grocery store and you'll see multiple National Geographic magazines on Jesus. It's commendable to be interested in Jesus. That's a, that's a, it's, on this, it's commendable in the academic world. Well, that's interesting for you. But in the gospel, to see Jesus, to have an interest in Jesus, is going to cost you your life. Not one part of your life will be the same if you choose to see Jesus and to follow him. You may not die physically, but you must die to self daily. You may not lose your life in this world, but you must give up your life in this world and be prepared to give your all to serve Christ Jesus. You see, if we do all together with one accord take on this ambition for this year, this church won't be the same. If Lord's Day by Lord's Day and day by day, week by week, we all have this burden to know and see Jesus more clearly in the Word of God, we will count this world as nothing compared to knowing Christ Jesus. So, I hope you have these ambitions to see Christ in our religious exercises, to see Christ in all the Scriptures, but to see Christ properly and clearly, to see Him in His glory, that you would realize He is the pearl of great price. He is altogether lovely, and therefore to lose your life for Him is to lose nothing, because you gain everything when you have Christ Jesus. I want to close tonight in singing a hymn. May God be pleased to encourage our hearts in the Word of God again tonight, but I want to sing hymn number 137. Again, one of the brethren requested this last Lord's Day for a favorite, but I think it's a good closing hymn for our worship again tonight. When I survey the wondrous cross, when I see the cross, when I see the Lord, when I consider the Savior, this is the consequence. Ultimately, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We'll stand together, please. We sing this hymn unto the Lord.
I commit our souls unto your care. I pray that in your kindness, you would bless us in this new year. And as we enter 2024, may it be a year of tremendous spiritual heights. And that we would delight in the Lord. Rejoice in him daily. See him in the word. Worship his name in the house of God. May this indeed, O oh God, be a time when we walk with Christ. Help us. Give us godly ambitions. Godly desires and goals that are set, O oh God, according to your word. May the Lord indeed be preeminent in our lives. O oh Lord, dismiss us now in your fear. May your favor rest and abide upon us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we pray in Christ's name.